Thank you, uh, Charles, and thank you, John. What you need to know here at Calvary Church is that missions is such an important and vital part of our history, and you need to also know that it's going to be an important and vital part of our future. And so before we start today, uh, I just want to say good morning to all of you uh, joining us online, and good morning to all of you in Quakertown. I miss you guys. I'll see you guys next week. Uh, and also, I just want to acknowledge that whether you are in Quakertown or online or here in Sowerton, some of you were impacted by the storm this past week as well. Uh, if you are in need of help or assistance, please reach out to us. Call the church office and ask for Chad. Chad is one of our pastors. Uh, we want to make sure that we are there for you and there with you during this time. Uh, and if you are looking to find out how to help others, uh, I highly recommend calling your local Rotary Clubs, your local uh, borough or council members. Uh, just find out how we can be the church and help those in our neighbors' hoods as well. As Charles mentioned, uh, we just finished up a summer of connection. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're kind of taking a break. We got a little bit of a bridge week between two different series. We just finished a series looking at Connect, and we're going to start a series next week looking at Impact. And our values here at Calvary Church are connected impact. We strive to live out lives according to these values of connected impact. And what we say is, as we connect with God and he impacts our lives, we are then sent to connect with others and impact their lives. And so we're going to take a look at an interesting story today that kind of bridges both of those concepts of connecting with God, having God impact someone's life, and then being sent and connecting with others and impacting lives of others. So if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to the book of Luke. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get you one. Whether you're here in Sowerton or in Quakertown, go out to the hub, ask them for a Bible. We'd love to give you one. It's free. It's our gift to you. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth. So let us know and we'll get you a Bible. But we're going to be looking at the book of Luke. And we're going to be reading an interesting story today. It's a little different. It's a little different. I just want to admit that to you. Uh, it's a little foreign uh, to us in 21st century America, but if we take the time to look at it, I actually think there's actually a familiarity that we need to also understand as well. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 26. It's talking about Jesus and his disciples, and it says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those telling the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Interesting story. Different kind of story. I was listening to a preacher named Alistair Begg talk about this story, and he, he used a picture that I thought was really, really interesting in how we should approach this story today. Because there's different ways you can approach this story, but today. And in order for you to understand that, I think you need to understand something about me. I hate art museums. Oh, I hate art museums. No. They're the worst. They're the worst. You gotta be quiet in them. And you know what? Here's the deal. My family, they love art museums. My wife and the kids, they love art museums. And this is what they do. They go to the art museum, they go to each exhibit, and they stand there. They look at all the details. They process it. And then, and, and then they read the description on the side, and they, they spend like a long time just looking at this art. I've circled that gallery about eight times already. Because I, it's not that I don't like art. I do like art. But when I go into an art museum, I just, I just see the big picture. I'm like, oh, this is what you're trying to express. This is nice. Let's keep going. That's not how my family does it. They want to look at every little detail. Well, here's the truth of the matter. At times, we need to understand that we need to approach the Bible in both of those ways. There are times when we have to look at a passage and we need to look at every detail. Look at everything there because it makes it richer. It makes it deeper. It makes it just fuller. But there are times when we need to actually stop and step backwards and not look at all the details, but actually look at the big picture. There are times when you have to do that with both passages. So when it comes to this passage, it could very easily be that we spend time just looking at all the details, looking at the pigs, looking at the demons, looking at the man, looking at every single thing. And there are fascinating details in this story. And I would love to talk about them at some point. But today, I think that we need to actually step back and look at the big picture to actually see what Luke is trying to say in this passage. Because what Luke is trying to say in this passage is not about the man. It's not about the demons. It's not about the pigs. What Luke is trying to say in this passage is all about Jesus. What Luke is doing in this passage is he is proclaiming a truth about Jesus. And the truth that he's proclaiming is that Jesus has complete authority. If you would look at the story surrounding this, if you would look at this chapter, what Luke does is he walks us through all of these different stories. Right before this story, Jesus is in a boat, and he's in a boat with his disciples, and they're in the middle of a storm, and the sea is going crazy, and there's all of this chaos, and what is happening? Jesus is taking a nap. And so Jesus wakes up out of his nap, he looks over at the storm, he goes, all right, settle down. That's enough. And the storm just quiets. Then Jesus has this encounter with this man, and he, and he uh, frees this man from his demons. He then goes on. He heals this woman of this lifelong disease. He then continues on and raises this young girl up from the dead. What Luke is doing in all of these passages is proclaiming the complete authority of Jesus. And I think we need to understand that today. And I think one of the ways that we can understand the authority of Jesus is by actually looking at the story of the man in the story. We don't actually know the man's name. We only know 
that there is a legion of demons, but we don't know his actual name, but we do know his story. And while the story may be set in a setting that is kind of different or foreign to us, what we need to understand, what we have to understand, is that we actually have the same story. And I think if we can somehow grasp this, if we can somehow grasp that this man's story is the same as our story, then we can understand the power of Jesus that can be extended in our life, and we can understand the power of his grace and his love. So here's what we need to understand first about this man. The man enters into the story trapped. He enters into the story trapped. He's in complete bondage. And the result of this bondage is alienation. He is isolated. He is hopeless. He is alienated from others. Look at the description of him. He is running around naked amongst the tombs. He is separate from people. People have tried to help him. They have put him in bondage. He breaks those chains as if they were strings. They put people to guard him and that nothing helps. He is completely isolated from everyone. In fact, if you will look at uh, 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 other books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, if we look at those and we look at the different translations of the words that uh, were used, to talk about how the people were watching this man, the words were actually used would have been applied to animals, to livestock. This man has been reduced to less than human. This man has been reduced to an animal state in the minds of others. He is completely alienated from others. But not only is he alienated from others, he's alienated from God. What we need to understand is that in that culture, clean and unclean were very important. Very important. And we need to understand a little bit about this man, and we need to understand the concept of clean and unclean. Well, first of all, this man is a Gentile. There were two types of people in the world back then. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. Jews and everybody else. This man is in Gentile territory. Jesus is in Gentile territory. That alone makes him unclean. But not only that, it's not just a Gentile territory. They are selling and raising pigs. Pigs were unclean during that time. Jewish people did not eat pigs. They did not raise pigs. They did not sell pigs. There were pigs just all over the place in this story. Not only that, contact with the dead made someone unclean. So if you touched something that was dead, if you actually touched something that had touched something that was dead, you would become unclean. This man doesn't just touch something that is uh, amongst the dead. He lives amongst the dead. He is completely unclean. And as a result of that, he is completely alienated from God. He is completely separated from God. He is trapped, and the result of it is an alienation from God. And so was I. And so were you, and so was every person in all of humanity. Because of our sin, and sin is simply when you do something that God doesn't want you to do or don't do something that God wants you to do, because of our sin, our outright rejection of God, what ends up happening is we enter into the story trapped and in bondage to our sin and completely and utterly alienated from God. And at this point, there is nothing that we can do. It is hopeless. There is nothing we can do on our own. There is nothing that anyone else can do for us. Look at the story. They tried. They tried to take care of this man. There was nothing that could happen. We are left in this hopeless state. The only response is Jesus. But what about those, what about those demons? That, that's kind of an interesting twist in the story. That's not kind of something in my story, but what about those demons? 
What's going on over there? What's going on with these demons? Well, let me remind you a little bit about what is happening in Luke's narrative, what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us that Jesus has complete authority. Complete authority. And what you need to understand, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, here's what you need to understand. We exist in a physical world. I am. I'm physically here. All of you are physically here in Souderton. You're all there. Mentally, you might have checked out, but physically, you're here. All of you in Quakertown, you are physically there. All of you watching online, wherever you're at, you are physically there. We live in a physical world. We also live in a spiritual world. And the Bible is very clear that there is a spiritual aspect to our world. And the Bible is very clear that there are angels and that there are demons. And what I want you to understand is that at times we can approach that and we can see that and we can think different things. And sometimes we can even respond with fear when we realize the reality of demons. That's not the point of this story. The point of the story is not to be afraid. The point of the story is understanding the authority of Jesus. What happens right before this story? I just told you that Jesus calms the sea. Luke establishes that Jesus has complete authority over the physical world. What does he establish in this world? Not only does Jesus have complete authority over the physical world, he has complete authority over the spiritual world. There is nothing, nothing, nothing on this planet, nothing in this universe, nothing in our lives that is stronger than Jesus, whether it's physical or spiritual. Jesus has complete authority authority. And when he connects with this alienated and trapped man, and the the man's life is impacted in a powerful way. And here's what happens. The man enters into the story trapped. He connects with Jesus. The impact is he now continues into the story freed. He continues in the story freed. When Jesus connects with this man, the impact is that he moves from trapped to freed. And it's fascinating to look at how Jesus does this. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, Josh Crum. Some of you may know Josh. Uh, you may remember he preached here a little bit ago. He preached on encouraging one another. Uh, he also preached in Quakertown not that long ago as well. Good friend of mine. We were talking about this passage, and then he was like, you know, it kind of sounds like uh, what happened uh, in the Lord of the Rings. So for a little bit, you're going to have to allow me to geek out a little bit, okay? I'm going to show my nerdness a little bit here. So if you've never watched The Lord of the Rings, or even better yet, read the books, there's a scene in there where there's a king named Theoden. And so Theoden is completely in bondage and completely taken over by this evil wizard, Saruman. And I'm realizing as I'm talking how nerdy this sounds. So so anyway, there's a bad wizard. And then there's a good wizard named Gandalf. And Gandalf comes into the king's chambers, and he goes up to Theoden, and he goes, I release you. The response was that Theoden begins to laugh. The evil wizard begins to laugh through Theoden. Gandalf gets upset and he casts aside his cloak and there's this bright light and he swings his staff around and he hits the guy in the head and then the guy is released. Freed. That's not what happened with Jesus. That's not how it happened. There was no laughing when Jesus came. When Jesus came, what happens? The demons fling the man at Jesus' feet, and they're like, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. They start begging, have mercy on us. The demons knew exactly who Jesus was, and they knew exactly what his authority was. In fact, look at how they address him. 
Jesus, the son of the most high God. You know what's kind of crazy when you think about that? Is that right before, again, that story when Jesus calms the sea, the disciples are there, and the disciples, in the midst of the calming of the storm, they look at Jesus and they're like, who is this? Who is this guy? Who is this that we're with? The demons have no doubt who this is. They know exactly who it is, and they know exactly what authority he has. And what's amazing is that Jesus frees this man when everyone else and everything else failed, when everyone else had tried something and could not do this, Jesus effortlessly, effortlessly just tells the demons to go. Tells the demons to go. That is the power of the God that we serve. That is the power of the God that we serve. You see, I don't know where you are at in the story. Remember I told you we have to realize that this is the same story as ours. I don't know where you are at in the story. Maybe you are in the portion that you're still trapped. Whatever it is, maybe it's a secret sin, maybe it's addiction, whatever it is, maybe you are at the portion of the story where you are trapped. Let me tell you something right now, that there is nothing, there is nothing that can stand in the way of Jesus. He has complete authority and complete power. Maybe you're not the one trapped, but maybe it is your child. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's even a parent. Maybe it's just this loved one in your life that is trapped. I'm going to tell you right now, do not give up. Do not lose hope. The one that is coming to us has all authority, is stronger than anything we can face. Cling to him. Cling to him and do not lose hope. Amen. So again... This story is about the proclamation of the authority and power of Jesus. And we learn it by looking at, we learn it by looking at the story of this man. He enters into the story trapped. He collides with Jesus. His life collides with Jesus. He connects with Jesus. And the impact is, is that he moves from trapped to freed. Trapped to freed. And then something crazy happens. Something crazy happens. Here's what happens. Two things. First of all, the people from the town come. The people from the town come and they see what has happened. They see this man who had been running around naked, who had been uh, self-harming himself, mutilating himself, had been screaming, had been doing all of these things who no one could control. There he is in his sound mind, completely dressed, just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what do they do? They tell Jesus, go away. Go away. Why? I've heard people talk about this, and they've said, well, it's because they cared more about their finances. It's because they cared more about the pigs than they cared about the man. That's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that they were afraid, that they were overcome with fear. You see, when we don't know Jesus and we come into contact with the full authority and power of Jesus, that is unsettling. And so they tell him to go away. And then here's where it gets really weird. The man goes to Jesus and he goes, take me with you. Take me with you. Let me go with you. And Jesus says, no. No. Like, I'm not sure why. Was there no room on the boat? Was there not enough life jackets? What's going on? Why? Well, Jesus says, no, you can't come because I want you to go. I want you to go and tell others. I want you to go and tell others the good news. Go and tell. You see, the man enters into the story trapped. He collides with Jesus. 
He continues on in the story freed. And where we find him out, where we find him at the end of the story, he's sent. He's sent. He's sent. N.T. Wright is a biblical scholar. And he was looking at this passage, and he says something pretty amazing I never thought of. He says about this man, he goes, this man ends up being the first apostle to the Gentiles. An apostle is someone who is sent. He gives him the, N.T. Wright gives this man the title of being the first apostle sent to the Gentiles, the first one sent to bring the good news to the Gentiles. And what we need to understand is that his story is a powerful story of God connecting with someone and impacting their lives and then sending them to connect with others and impact the lives of others. And what we need to also understand is that it's our story as well. What we just need to figure out is, where are we at in the story? Are we still trapped? Or have we been freed? Because if we're freed, then we are sent. If we're freed, then we are sent. And I think it's amazing how Jesus offers us freedom. I think it's amazing how he actually goes about doing this. How he is able to offer us the freedom from our sin. Can we pause for a moment and go back to how we found the man at the beginning of the story? How did we find him? We found him naked and isolated and outside of the town amongst the tombs. Well, if you were to keep reading the Gospel of Luke or if you keep reading reading the Gospel of Mark or Matthew or John, how do we find Jesus towards the end of that book? Jesus is naked on a cross. He's isolated from everyone. In fact, even his heavenly Father forsakes him. And then he is taken down and placed in a tomb. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay there. Three days later, he walks out of that tomb eternally victorious, proclaiming ultimate authority and all power. And that's why we are able to be freed. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. That is it. Jesus paid the price. There are no hoops to go through. That is is it. Turn to Jesus. You see, Jesus makes our story his and offers a chance to make his story ours. Jesus makes our story his and offers a chance to make his story ours. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what we are called to do. We are called to have our lives impacted by this loving and all-powerful God. And then we are sent. We are freed and we are sent. So where are we at? Because if you've been freed, you've been sent. Let me tell you a little bit of a synopsis of my story. And I believe that it is your story as well. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us 
also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That is my story. In case you were wondering, that is my story. I enter the story deserving of wrath. This is who I am. Gratifying the desires of my flesh, following the ruler of the kingdom of this world, filled with disobedience. That is how I entered the story, everyone. Just so you know, that's me. But, but, but because of his grace, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. That's my story. And that's your story. So go tell someone that story. You see, Calvary Church, we're about to shift into a new season. We're about to shift into a season of impact here at Calvary Church. And that has to start with Jesus impacting our lives. That has to start with Jesus impacting our lives. And then what? Then we are sent. We are sent. It's time to live out that mission, Calvary Church. We are people who have been sent. It's time to make our story Jesus' stories. It's time. Get ready. Because the season of impact is coming. And here's how we're going to get ready. Here's how we're going to get ready as a church. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to lay a foundation of prayer as we enter into this next season. As we enter into this season of impact, we are going to pray. We are going to cover this whole church in prayer. And here's how we're going to do that. I'm not going to tell you I want you to pray a certain amount of times a day. I'm not going to tell you I even want you to pray a certain amount of times a week. What I want you to do is to commit to a month of prayer. And here's what I want you to do. Whenever you think of Calvary Church, whenever you think of someone who's sitting around you, whenever you think of one of the leaders here, whenever you think of Charles or Jay or myself or any of the pastors, or any of the staff, whenever you think of someone, pray. That's all I'm asking you to do. Whenever you think of Calvary, pray. One whole month, a foundation of prayer. That's what we're going to do this month. We're entering into a new season, a season of impact. Our story is that we enter the story trapped. Our lives are collided with Jesus. He connects with us, and the impact is that we are freed. And then we are sent. Let's be that church, and let's start that today as we pray together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your freedom that you give us. Lord, we ask you that you would do something great in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, that we would do your work 
that you would equip us and strengthen us, that you would give us humility, that you would give us joy. And Lord, that you would do amazing things, that people would come to know you, that we would not be put into a bubble or or in a fishbowl, but we would break out of that bubble and just go and spread the gospel to everyone. Bless this church, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.